Lord, we bring many stories and anxieties and stresses, sin and brokenness that uh, maybe we've contributed or that we've experienced into this place. And right now we quiet our hearts and our minds because we know that your word is powerful, your gospel is powerful. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead that's at work in this space and in our lives. And so we approach you now because we believe you are here, your presence is here, and it's working through Capital City Church and working into our individual lives in very specific ways. I pray for this message, a more unique message that is, is just considering the scope of uh, this thing called church planting and what you've um, preached to us, Lord, through your spirit over the years. Lord, I pray some of it could be an encouragement to where Capital City Church is right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was living in Chicago at the time that I got uh, the bug to plant a church, and at that point it was just a matter of what, what is the location, where we're going to go, and we had a bunch of different uh, locations. Some of them were different cities. We considered uh, Portland, Oregon. There were a couple neighborhoods there. We considered three neighborhoods in Chicago where we were living at the time. I was doing uh, ministry in Evanston, just north of uh, Chicago proper, uh, ministering to Northwestern University students over there. Um, and so we were considering three neighborhoods in Chicago and then two neighborhoods here. Uh, and the specific neighborhood that we were looking at that we ended up planting is, is up the hill from here, closer to St. Thomas and McAllister College. Uh, we moved there, uh, it would have been the fall of 2008. And specifically, it was Tracy, my wife, that really had the initial vision to, to plant in that neighborhood. And we moved here with the support of our church in Evanston. We partnered with another church, Hope Community Church in downtown Minneapolis, uh, to start that work of a church plant. And we, we did not have much going on in those initial years. And one of the things that happens when you lean into this thing called church planting is you see these amazing miracles that happen that, that only can be explained by God moving in, a, in an amazing and unique way. Uh, one of those stories that I remember early on is how we got our initial core team of people. I was networking with... Um, one of the uh, Campus Crusade uh, for Christ, I think they just call him Crew now, uh, directors at St. Thomas at the time, and he uh, was uh, just having coffee with me and we were sharing about the church plant and thinking about how we could partner together. And uh, earlier that day, and I didn't know this, there was a, a group of friends of his that were driving around that neighborhood uh, because they had uh, plans to move into that neighborhood and they loved the neighborhood, Miriam Park, uh, is the name of the neighborhood, and they were excited about the thought, like, well, what if there was a gospel-preaching church in this neighborhood? One of the guys that was part of this group that was moving there was going to seminary at, at Bethlehem at the time, and they said, well, you should plant the church. And he's like, no, that's, that's crazy talk. Like, why would you do that? Like, I, I can't plant a church. And so they decided, well, why don't we just pray that God would give us a church planner that we could team up with, and then we could, we could uh, uh, work with him uh, to plant a church. And this group of people that was moving in, they also were a small group uh, that, of, of folks that have been praying about this specific thing. Well, that evening, they got together with their good friend, who was this director of crew at St. Thomas, and he told them about the meeting he had with me, and it all lined up. I got to meet them about a week later, and they ended up coming, becoming pretty much like the core of our church. And there's, there's a good chunk of them that are still around today, and it's that type of story that happens over and over and over and over again in church planning, that one relationship, that one cup of coffee, that one conversation that you had that now God uses in a way that starts bringing people in on how he's moving in a particular neighborhood. 
And uh, coming this next fall, we will be celebrating 10 years as a church plant. We launched on 10-10-10, so it's going to be 10-10-20. It's very easy uh, for, for, for us to remember where we're at. And we actually launched at 10 a.m. as well, 10 10 10 10 a.m. It was very easy. The only reason we picked that date is because it was 10, 10, 10. That's the only reason. There, was no, there wasn't like, oh, this is the perfect day in the fall. It's like, no, it's how many times do you get? 10, 10, 10. That's pretty memorable. We're going to go with it. Uh, and God has been blessing us ever since. So it's been 10 years, and I wanted to share with you guys, uh, especially now that you're entering in, not even your first year, uh, some lessons that I learned after 10 years of church planting. So here's number one. Make the church all about Jesus. Make the church all about Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, here's a key word, preeminent. For in him, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's a lot packed into that set of verses. This is some, uh, some of my favorite portions of scripture. Uh, I've, I've, I, in my opinion, have preached some of my best sermons from this passage. Maybe my congregation would disagree, but I love this text, and it's making two essential points. That one, Jesus is Lord of creation, that creation exists because of him, and it's made through him, and for him, for his glory, and, it, and he's also Lord of salvation and redemption. So it gets to this word that in everything he might be preeminent, or if you have another translation, it might say that he may have supremacy, meaning he might be first. Everything's connected to him. Everything's about him. Everything is for his glory and exists for his glory. So God purposed from eternity that Jesus, the Son of God, would be supreme over all things. So the local church doesn't determine this purpose. Our calling is to reflect and show the world that this is true. May this church and all local churches in our city be all about Jesus. It seems like something very obvious, but you can always tell what's going on in a space, a community when you walk in, that you start to guess without them even telling you what this place is all about. Let me share a story with how this happened once uh, in a trip to, to northern Wisconsin, right? Uh, I went to northern Wisconsin to uh, some of the towns along Lake uh, Superior in northern Wisconsin with a friend of mine, and uh, there was this uh, very small town, I don't even remember the name of it, maybe it was so small it didn't have a name, uh, I have no idea, and, and it was right on the border between Michigan and Wisconsin, and my friend and I, we, we uh, uh, put our kids to bed and our family was settling in, so we went out into this town and we decided let's go uh, get, get a burger, get a drink somewhere, and uh, there were a couple different choices. One was this like brew pub that looked like it dropped out of St. Paul into this small town. It had like, you know, the wood paneling and like just the, 
the Thomas Edison like lights hanging from the ceiling and all like these really hip people with the thick rim glasses and it's just that's and it didn't look like it belonged this is like this is northern Wisconsin these are different folks that live there than than uh, folks that than your typical hipster in St. Paul and so we decided to go to this place right next door which was this, this hole in the wall bar and the thing I remember three things about this place I went in there uh, and and one thing uh, was that they had some they had some singing going on a little bit of karaoke uh, the the food was very greasy uh, that was probably originally frozen and then and then just uh, thrown into a fryer and the best part is they had chainsaws hanging from the ceiling that was their decor chainsaws like that's what they had I don't know where they got all these chainsaws from but that's what was hanging from the ceiling so I walk away and like the people are singing they're having a good time they're unwinding from a week of work that these people like singing and chopping things down okay that's that was my impression of that community so People uh, from uh, outside the church will come to Capital City Church. They'll meet you in your parks. They might come to this assembly to investigate who Jesus is. Maybe that's you here this morning. You're kicking the tires of Christianity, and you're observing what is this community, what is this space all about. And it's true that sometimes you can walk into a church, and it may not be blatantly obvious that it's about Jesus. It could be a community that's about entertainment or programs or life advice or partisan politics. You can walk away from a church experience and think that their main thing is any of those things. But if it's not Jesus, then we're missing it, right, church? That we want folks to walk into, whether it's Trinity City Church or Capital City Church, walking away that this place is obsessed with the person and work of Jesus Christ. That if I'm going to lean into this community, that I need to, need to lean into this person of Jesus as well and explore who he is. Number two, sacrifice for the mission. Sacrifice for the mission. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 gives this charge. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So how do Christians form relationships that are based on humility and not selfish ambition? How do we form a fellowship that counts others more significant than ourselves, looking not to our own interests, but the interests of others. How does that happen? Paul writes, look at Jesus, look at his example, look at his humility, look at his passion on the cross, his death on the cross. Look at what Jesus did and who he is and his example. Jesus Christ, fully human and fully God, yet he emptied himself and became a servant, which means what? It doesn't mean that it becomes less divine. That's impossible for God to become less than divine. He's always divine. He always will be divine. That's who he is. But what it's getting at is that Jesus is king, as we just said. He's supreme in everything. He should be preeminent. That's his status. But there's this sense in his humanity that he set aside that status to become a servant, even to the point of death, so that we may be liberated by from sin because of his work on the cross. So that's the sacrifice of Christ. And, and Paul is saying when you worship Jesus who has done that, you become like him. Like you become what you, you eat, you become what you worship. You worship this humble servant who set aside his status as king. You too will set aside any advantage or privilege that you might have so that you can serve 
others. Churches are planted because people sacrifice to make it happen. There's no other way that churches are started from nothing. It is sacrifice that you are here. It's sacrifice that I know some of you left another church because you caught a vision to be here. And, and some of you may have moved into this neighborhood and sacrificed to be here. It is a sacrifice to be here. And that's one of the things that sometimes scares people off from a, a church plant. Whoa, there's a commitment here because you can't be lazy in a church plant. You stick out if you are because it's just like one of those things just like everybody's got to get to work. There's something for everybody to do. But for some folks who are looking into Christianity, that is one of the most authentic real things that they see in a church plant, that everybody's all in. Everybody's part of this family. Everybody's serving one another. And they love to see that sacrifice. And this is this gospel proclamation through, through your acts of service that, that attracts some people who are looking for something authentic in this city and in this neighborhood. One of the things that we remember from sacrifice in, in uh, the early stages of planting a church is, is the tough reality that often in a church plant you form relationships with individuals and for whatever reason they end up leaving. Uh, sometimes it's because of a different job, because the city has a lot of transient folks or they graduate from school, that sort of thing. And, and, it, and it hurts because one of those things that you do sacrifice is you put all this emotional energy, all this time into relationships. And some of them stay and it's a beautiful thing, but some of them leave and it hurts. And that's part of the sacrifice of planting a church is to put yourself out there for the sake of another, even if you have no guarantee that you might not get a friendship or a family out of this, but you still do it for the sake of the gospel. Churches are planted based on sacrifice. Number three, keep the ministry simple. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus said, it, said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the clearest statement of the Christian mission that churches embrace and have been embracing, that we are making disciples. We go, we baptize, we teach in order to make disciples. And that's how we do that. You have the resurrected Lord of the universe saying, this is what you need to do now, church. Go and make disciples because God is active in your world, in your community, in your neighborhood. He's making all things new. So you participate in God's kingdom work by making these disciples. And, and if you look at the history of the church, we all are essentially doing this. We might have creative different ways of saying that in our mission statement, but at the end of the day, we're still doing the work of the historic church. We're worshiping Jesus. We're proclaiming the gospel. We live in countercultural community. We integrate our faith in everyday life and everyday work, and we do acts of justice and mercy. This is what churches do, and what we've been doing for the last 2,000 years is this type of of work. And so I always think it's funny, for example, when a church brags about something like this, like, well, we're a church that worships Jesus. We're a church that serves the poor. Well, isn't that what the church is supposed to be doing? There's this bit that uh, I'm reminded of, uh, Chris Rock, a comedian, where he talks about uh, uh, parents or students or employees bragging about something that they're supposed to be doing. When a parent says, well, I'm a good parent. That's kind of the bare minimum, right? That's what you should, you shouldn't be a bad parent. Be, be a good parent. That's a good, good aspiration. Or like, you know what? I show up to work and I don't check my email. 
great. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to work there, right? That's what you do at your job. And there's the sense, too, that that's the church, right? We don't boast about acts of justice and mercy. We don't, we don't boast about that. We share the gospel. We live in countercultural community. This is just what we're called to do. This is what the church is. We keep it simple, right? And church plants have this amazing opportunity because, because you don't have a ton of resources, you don't have a ton of personality, you don't have a huge budget to continue to look at these essential things that the church has always done and to focus on those things. Because one of the toughest things to do uh, for any local church, but especially a church plant, is to decide how is God going to form this community and what are the things we're going to focus on. Because the struggle becomes... What, what, what exactly is this going to express itself in? What is this going to look like? Because there's so many good things that a church can do beyond the five things that I listed. A church can do youth ministry and Sunday school and Bible study, and they could do neighborhood to grill outs in the, in the park. You could fight against poverty or human trafficking or be a church that's all about adoption. These are all good things, but one of the toughest things that you have to do as a church plant is say no to some really good, amazing things that you could do to be laser-focused on something and to do it well. Uh, I was excited to hear about the announcement right before I preached. That's a great way because there's so many other things that are like that. There's so many other needs even beyond the refugee community. But if you can focus in on one in this season and, and, and focus in and narrow in on that and go all in, then great. And it's okay that you can't do all the things. There's other local churches that might do those things uh, and lean into that. Uh, so sometimes you need to say no to really good ideas so you can focus on doing some things really well and trust that God uses other local churches to accomplish the purposes that you're not being called to. Number four, unite in Christ for diverse community. Ephesians 2, 18 through 20 says, for through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone. So in the early church, there were these two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, that had their own customs and laws and traditions, and the Gentiles now are becoming Christians. And the Jews were really, Jewish Christians were really struggling with, well, how much of our traditions, our customs, do they need to embrace in order to be Christians? What do they need to have in terms of their works and their customs in order to have access to salvation? And Paul's answer to that is that both Jew and Gentile alike have access to one spirit to the Father through Christ, not through customs and traditions. Salvation comes through Christ alone by faith alone. In other words, Christian community becomes this inclusive place regardless of what background you have or what country you're from or what race you're from or what economic class you belong to or what neighborhood you live in, that the Christian community is inclusive of all those types of stories and experiences. Why? Because we, there's an exclusive nature to salvation. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ, and because that's the only way, not through your experience, not through your tradition, not through your culture, that one's superior than the other, all those are level at the foot of the cross, and you have one exclusive way into salvation, which therefore starts to breathe a life into a diverse community. The gospel is at work today in bringing people together from different walks of life because of our shared belief and path to God through Jesus Christ alone. 
So it's true that birds of a feather stick together, but there needs to be something more compelling, I think, happening in a church plant than that it could just be explained by a social connection that you all have in common. There's this quote uh, from a book called The Compelling Community by Mark Dever, where they say, quote, when Christians unite around something other than the gospel, they create community that likely exists even if God didn't uh, uh, make this community and glorify their strength instead of God's. So what is he saying there? He's saying Christian community is unique because it gets to the point that the only explanation for why these folks of different backgrounds, maybe different races, different uh, interests, uh, uh, different stories are coming together, it needs to be the gospel. If you have a community and the, the explanation is like, oh, they all, they all are really into urban biking. This is the urban biking church. That's why they're all hanging out. Well, that's not compelling. That, that's what you could get a social club in the city and it, it accomplishes the same thing. But if the reason that all these diverse stories and experiences come together is Jesus, then that's compelling. It's compelling to your neighborhood, especially for those that have always felt on the outside of community, that here is a community that I can be a part of because they're united around Jesus Christ and him alone. Number five, give each other grace. Give each other grace. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 29, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As you're starting a church, it's important to give one another grace. One of the phrases that we often used at Trinity City Church uh, that we can't really use anymore because we're 10 years old was we used to be baby church. If things would mess up, we'd be like, oh, baby church. AV was a little off, that's baby church. Lyrics were wrong on the printout or the screen, baby church. Uh, and, and, and you think baby church is crazy, wait until you become toddler church, right? When you start toddling around, knocking things over, kind of a little bit more destructive. I always thought that that stage of life has the best name, toddler. It's like naming teenagers angsty instead of teenagers. Like, it's just so real and honest about what the experience is, right? So we were a baby church, and the other thing that we thought of is that we were all rookies, every one of us, and maybe that's your experience here. We, we, many of us uh, had never planted a church before. I think 99% of our church never planted a church before. We didn't have that experience. I never was a senior pastor. I never planted a church before. Uh, you did. So you got a little bit, yeah? So you got a little bit more experience on it. So you can, you can hold him to a higher standard than I had, had, to, had to deal with. Um, but many of you, maybe this is the first time you're leading a ministry. This maybe will be the first time when you call your first members, your first time ever becoming a member of a church. When you call deacons or whatever offices they are, so it will be your first time doing church leadership. And because you all are rookies, you've got to cut each other some slack. And some of the times that, that churches uh, have a tendency, especially church plants, calling... Um, together maybe more idealistic thinkers, and you, you don't cut each other slack. And one of the things you have to do in, in, the, in the church when you're planting a church is to uh, give each other grace, to fail, to lead, to try things, to figure things out, uh, because that's what you're called to do. I want to conclude with one uh, thing that we've um, affirmed as a church that has really carried us through these 10 years and hopefully 10 plus more years 
And that is we, we remember that uh, the narrative we embrace is one of death and resurrection, right? That's how Jesus does things. God does things in Christ in a way that it doesn't always go according to plan. It's not that everything just works out every single time the way that we planned it without any experience of suffering and death. Uh, we believe in a gospel that death happens, but then even though death happens, even th- though things break down and there's no life in it anymore, that he can bring it back up. There are con- countless stories in my church plant where the thing almost died, where, where it looked like it was about ready to go off the tracks. And there's so many stories I could tell uh, about, about how God has, has been faithful to us. There's the story about the first staff person I hired uh, didn't make it to a uh, launch date. It didn't work out. There's the, um, the story I could tell about our first attempt at planting a church. We just had a successful church plant that we planted in South Minneapolis, but before that, we, we had a misfire. It didn't work out, um, and that was really stressful, and we're like, are we ever going to be able to be another church planting church? But here's the story I do want to share with you. It's a, the story about losing our home. Uh, we were blessed early on uh, to be able to, to launch in a space kind of like this. It was an old Methodist church in Miriam Park, um, and I remember meeting with the pastor. I just wanted to use the chapel to do some launch team training. Found out that the church was actually merging with another Methodist church in the Hamlin Midway neighborhood, and that building was going to be available. So we had the opportunity to launch in that building, and we were there for two and a half years. Uh, and what ended up happening was, I actually remember this, I was a bivocational pastor. I worked at Starbucks on Grand Avenue uh, for two, about two and a half years, and then uh, I remember when I became full-time, I was so excited. I was, I was in the study in this Methodist church that we, we were renting and we launched in and things were going well. And it was my first week of being you know, fully engaged, fully on the payroll of a church. I was so excited. And I think it was like the second day into that week, I get a call that the building sold. And I was just like, oh, Lord, what you need? You think I needed something to do? Like, what's going on here? Like, I was having this dream that this was going to be our place, our forever home, and it sold, and we had to move, and we had no idea where we were going to go to. We ended up moving uh, just a mile south to a Seventh-day Adventist church. They meet on Saturdays. We got to meet there on a, on a Sunday, and so that's where we moved. Um, and I, I, I wish I could tell you the story that it was a better place. It, it's, it wasn't a better place. It was, it was a downgrade, brothers and sisters. It was, it was not as nice. And I could tell, like, like you're, and my, the, my congregation was not excited about this either. They, it, was, it, was, it was in February, I remember this, that we, I read about this tradition that when churches sometimes change buildings, that there's, especially in, in, in urban neighborhoods, there's this lovely activity you can do where you can walk to the next sanctuary. Because uh, it was only a mile away, so we, we decided that we were going to do this. And it was one of those just rotten Minnesota days, right? It wasn't, it wasn't even snow. It wasn't rain. I, wasn't, I don't know what it was. Like fireballs were came, coming from, from the sky. I don't know what was happening. There was something happening in Minnesota weather. So nobody wanted to walk outside. And everybody was also just mad that we lost this beautiful, gorgeous place. And now we have to go to this downgrade. Uh, one of our plans was to go and walk there. And we were going to have a prayer meeting. So remember when I said about give each other grace? Well, one of the people that was responsible for making sure that we, we coordinated our times with the Adventists to be able to go into their sanctuary dropped the ball, so we got there while fireballs are coming down from the sky or whatever Minnesota shoots at you in the winter, uh, and we couldn't get in. The doors were locked. Uh, and so what we had to do is have our prayer meeting outside. So you got to understand what this moment was like, right? 
we just lost our lovely home that we wanted to be in forever. And we're, I'm, I'm leading us. This is the next place that God has uh, taken us to. And the doors are locked. And we're outside in, in just junky Minnesota weather. I actually, I, w- I wish I would uh, uh, have, I should show you the picture. Because I took a picture. I thought it was kind of funny. So I took a picture of my, like, miserable congregation at the time. Like, just out there <laughs> in the prairie. Just, like, and everybody's mad. Like, this, this stinks. I can't believe this happened. So we were there. God, God faithfully did provide. We, we, we were able to eventually get in and have our services there for three years. Well, that was, that was not fun. That was stressful. That was stressful. Um, and, and God provided, and he did great work in those three years. After three years, a miraculous thing happened where the building that we were booted out of came back onto the market. And uh, through a lot of God's miracle work and working through a variety of different people, we were able to make an offer and then uh, move back, and, um, and that time we, we walked back, and there was about like maybe five times as many people that participated in that walk, because everyone was super excited at the upgrade, and there was a nice out, and the, the sun was out, and we got in the doors, and we had a big like chili potluck in the, ba- the basement, and it was a great thing. There's so many stories that are like that, where it just looks like this thing just went off the rails, and it's just about to die but then Jesus raises it back up because that's what he does. But then you all get this experience going through that, these gospel stories that you get to tell your neighbors and your friends and your children. You're planting a church, brothers and sisters. This is a big deal. Capital City Church will exist decades from now, and you can tell grandchildren someday that you know this church in St. Paul? It exists because your parents or your family was on the bottom of that. And let me tell you all these stories of how God still is raising the dead. Let's pray. So Lord, as we respond now to give you worship that you are due, help us to be encouraged. Help us to know that you are at work in this place, at work in our lives, at work in the people that you've called to be part of Capital City Church. And help us to embrace that reality right now, to be thankful for it. Prepare our hearts for the mission ahead, even though that it's not always going to be easy. But help us to boast in what you are about to do. And that we can point to this community and say the reality is is that Jesus is still alive and he's working and active in West 7th. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.